I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hello, it's Allison Schaefer, and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I have had a traditional format for my first 20 episodes of doing a Q&A, and I thank you for always sending in your questions, and please continue to send in your questions. But over time, it has also come to um, my awareness that the conversation can also be richer if I bring some other people into the conversation. And so today I am doing the first of what will be um, also a format for the podcast of doing some interviews. So I could not be happier to have as my inaugural guest, Dr. Steve Silvestro. And I have known him for years and we have been backing and forthing for a long time on social media and supporting each other's business. But this is our first time that we've talked in quite a long time. Is that not true? It is. And I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so glad that you are now in this podcast space and and getting your wisdom out there in a whole new medium. And I am honored and thrilled to be the very first guest. Well, I am going to read your official bio so people know the the juiciness of everything that you do. And and then we'll talk about how we got to to, to meet and where our roots connected in the beginning. So, um, so Dr. Silvestro is an award-winning pediatrician. He is a multimedia healthcare communicator and consultant to parenting and health-oriented startups. His primary mission, to distill complex health information into memorable content that resonates and produces behavior change and positive social impact. Dr. Silvestro accomplishes this through the Child Repair Guide, a multimedia child health education platform utilizing video, podcast, and written content designed to help parents think like a pediatrician and take ownership over their kids' health. His most impactful content has reached millions of readers, influenced policy decisions by schools and communities, and has been highlighted by multimedia outlets, including the Washington Post, Axios, Salon, Consumer Report, Reader's Digest, and more. Dr. Silvestro currently practices pediatrics in Washington, D.C. area suburb. He's also a bone marrow harvesting physician at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital, collecting bone marrow for transplants in adults and children worldwide, and is a consultant to companies that set out to advance child and family health access and education through innovation, and is a father of two, can I tell you, 13 and 10, um, and we're going to talk about your wife's initiative that you help her on as well. Um, uh, you're, you are the most family-oriented <laughs> pediatrician. You're not only helping the community hands-on, but with everything that you produce in, in terms of content and put out there, and I'm, I'm so impressed with all that you do, but I believe that we met and I will not get the year right, but I think I was on a media tour 
and presenting through PEP, which is the Parent Encouragement Program. And I think I was in Maryland at one of the schools or a church. Um, and I think one of my books had just come out. So we're going back 10 years. Does that sound about right? So, so probably not quite 10. I started the podcast in 2016. And I remember I had a, a listener of the podcast who emailed me and said, hey, Steve, you have to get this person on. I just saw her give this amazing presentation. She's going to really resonate with everything that you do. Uh, here's her information. You have to reach out. And so I did. And, uh, and, and the rest is history. A beautiful story ever since. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the, um, what, tell people how you decided to move from just doing medical practice work that you do to deciding that you needed to, to get this information out to, on a broader platform. That's a huge, huge commitment and, and a passion project. Yeah, you know, it, so I, we had our first child, my wife and I, when I was finishing my training, my pediatric training. And I very quickly realized that so much of what I was learning in my training had very little to do with actually being a parent. Um, you learn about all the things that go wrong and, and not nearly as much about, you know, behavioral aspects and, and, you know, the idea that kids don't come with an instruction manual and you're figuring things out as you go along. We learn in medical school, just how to fix all the things that come up. And, from, from that experience and all the natural worries that I was feeling as a parent, I began in my practice to see that those worries were magnified because most parents don't have the benefit of medical training. Um, the, the sort of origin story was that I had a phone call after hours in which the voicemail that a mom left, uh, she started to describe her 18-month-old who had a fever, a little fever, 100.8, and the mom was in tears because she was so scared about this fever. And, you know, at first, you, you kind of get to be a little cynical sometimes in medicine. And at first, you know, my initial response was, wow, you know, she's really this upset about a, barely a fever. But then I remembered how I had been so worried about so many things, um, especially early on. I think I diagnosed my daughter with everything from, from hip dysplasia to cerebral palsy to dwarfism, and she had none of those, you know? And so to, to shorten the story, I essentially wrote a piece on Facebook before I had ever done a public post years and years ago, and it, it went viral. Uh, and so I recognize that people want this information. The information in that post was, this is a breakdown of fever. This is when you worry, when you don't worry. Um, and, and people are really sort of craving the, the, the ability to know what's normal, what's not, and what to do in a concise way. But, but you can find that online. You know, even more than that, I think people really wanted it in a warm and empathetic delivery. And so that's what I try and combine with, with the podcast and the articles is a simplified approach to, to raising kids without dumbing things down, um, but with also the, the warmth that's needed for all of us when we are in, in times of stress. Oh, thank you for, you know, being concise with that, that parents are intelligent. They yeah. don't want, just because it's about kids doesn't mean that we, that this, the content matter is infantile, that, that, you know, mature intellectual parents want to hear the goods, um, but they want to hear it in a way that they can process. It. And like you're, I have to say, I can't remember which one now, um, but one of your videos, you're jumping around in a, in, in a Superman costume or whatever. And it's like, I couldn't stop watching. Like I'm engaged, <laughs> but, the, but again, like fun, engaging, you're, you're a parent, you're, you're meeting us where we're at. Uh, but the content is exactly what I needed to need, needed to know in the moment in a small soundbite, you know, which is all I have time for. I'm not digging into a 400 page hardcover textbook at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the thing I want to talk to you today about is, um, is about the pandemic. <laughs> How do you take the pandemic and describe it to a parent audience in a way that is short, concise, and still factual and highbrow? You know, I think that the, we're all flooded with information about this right now, right? So 
to me, the, the key approaches, as I've written and talked about this over these last several months, is to try to find the, the specific topics that parents are worried most about as time goes on. Back when we say when things started, even though we now know that this started months before we all really knew about it. Good point. I mean, it was, That's it right. was in North America, we think maybe even as early as December. But in March, the, the middle of March, when everybody shut everything down, schools were all being closed down, the, I, I knew that, that parents were going to be wondering about what do we do about playdates? Can we still have people over um, and play? And so, so I wrote an article about that. And, and it was seen by many, many people um, because it was the specific question that people were asking about. And so I think that's been the, the key all along because we can talk about so many broad strokes of the pandemic or so many super nitty gritty fine details and I think most of us are, are kind of living somewhere in the middle when it comes to our daily concerns. So, so that to me is the key is figuring out what is it that we're worried about or questioning right now. Yeah. When the rubber and hits the road, just answer this. Can, exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Can, do I, do I, is my live-in nanny, can she stay? Are we in the same bubble? <laughs> you know, it's like that, right? It's That's really, right. really pragmatic questions. Tell us about, um, what you feel that parents are because they're overwhelmed and they're reading so much. And we now know that, that there is a huge amount of misinformation mm. that, that the Dr. Google does not always put in your search uh, box and put up as the top thing, the most credible information. And some people sit for hours going down a rabbit hole of misinformation what what part do you think we really um, have gotten right? And what part do you think parents have really gotten wrong? Well, you know, I think it's hard to say what parents per se maybe have, have gotten right or wrong because it, it's been so hard to tease out exactly which information matters the most. I, I think that in general, in conversations, it, it almost seems like we are we're, we're riding waves um, and an ebbing and flowing in terms of how we think about different aspects when it comes to COVID and kids. You know, when you first shut everything down, the thought was kids are, are asymptomatic carriers and are infecting everybody. Uh, and then we got to a point maybe late spring, early summer, where we thought, you know what, kids actually may not be the main vectors for this. And now we're kind of back up to thinking that they might play a role. So I think that that's been a, a huge piece that many of us in the medical community have failed is, is too strong of a word because this, this is a new situation and we're learning about this as we go. But I think that what, what may be frustrating for many parents as well as for many of us in medicine is the idea that we, the, the thinking about COVID and kids has been fluctuating constantly. And that make that's very difficult for parents, and and I do appreciate that, and I know uh, you know you get pulled for advice too. That when parents don't know what, if you go to different experts, you get different advice. That becomes, and if it changes over time, I feel that parents are really like, just tell me the right thing, yeah. and that's been really difficult because there is no one right good answer right now because of how much information changes and because families are different. That making the decision about schooling was really difficult because, well, which community? Where? How is your community spread? And do you have a family that has um, pre-existing conditions? And do you have a child that has learning exceptionalities or really isn't not coping? There was so many unique variables. There was no more social norm or tick box that parents could feel comforted knowing that they had done the prescribed right thing. We really had to ask them to be independent decision makers and weigh that out on their own. And that was really hard for a lot of parents and, and judgment from other parents. That's right. You know, it, it would be great if we could just have somebody somewhere that says, do this and don't do that. And everything will be fine. You know, and there are some parts of this where that is actually the case. I mean, we, we need to talk about wearing masks now. Initially, that was a question in the early months. And now we know pretty certainly that wearing masks in public will put a massive dent in the spread of the virus. So that is one spot where we can say, look, do this and things will be much better. 
but so many of these other areas are so gray, like deciding about school and, and who you can hang out with and what you can do and where. Yeah. yeah, so much ambiguity that parents don't like, I know. So you told me, though, that um, um, if we're going to go with the, the understanding that, that kids in the beginning were kind of thought as not being a factor, and now they are, what, what's your call out to parents? So, so how, masks or no masks for kids? How do you feel about that? So indoors especially, I think that kids should be wearing masks. Now, young kids, we say kids under two may have a really hard time. We don't know necessarily how well they can handle it just in terms of, of the oxygen and whatnot, although we really don't think that, that wearing a mask has a significant role in decreasing oxygen uh, as you breathe. But we'll say kids over two, if they can, should be wearing a mask, especially indoors. You know, we're starting to really change how we think about this um, Initially, we, we really talked about COVID as if it were like the flu. And the flu we know is spread primarily through large droplets. Imagine if, if you see somebody sneeze, you know, you can just imagine these big, gross droplets flying out and landing someplace. And so that was why we were all wiping down packages early on. And we, we were washing like crazy. Um, and initially, many of the large organizations, the WHO, the CDC here in the US, uh, were really sort of poo-pooing the idea that aerosols, teeny, teeny, tiny droplets, or teeny, teeny, tiny particles that can float in the air and hang out for a long time. The thought was that they probably didn't play as much of a role. And now, over the last few months, we started to see a shift where we're recognizing how much of a role those aerosols do play. And so what that then means is that if we are indoors and there isn't great ventilation, first off, if you can, you want to avoid that situation. Uh, but if you can't, so if kids are going to school, uh, you want as many people as possible in that environment to be wearing a mask so that at least a, a portion of their aerosols and a large portion of their droplets will be blocked by the mask. So so yeah, masks, young kids, or kids in general, certainly. Uh, you know, I've been telling parents that um, that there's many nuisances in life, like wearing a hat for the sun and wearing sunblock. And if we just get behind saying, yeah, I get they don't like the mask. And I, I get that it's, you know, it steams up my glasses. And yeah, it's a hassle, uh, you know. And I think sunblock is, is is sticky too. But if we can just kind of get on board with it. Most of the kids that I know, they really want to go back to school. They really want to see their friends. And if the, if, if the inconvenience of wearing a mask is what it's going to take to be safe and get there, then the kids are willing to do it. And just because they're moaning about it doesn't mean that we... Uh, have to feel like we are somehow psychologically damaging our children that, that, you know, that people are, have this really fragile uh, uh, thought about kids that, that they're really, that wearing a mask is like doing something really awful to them. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's a pain. I, I wear my mask. It's a pain, but I, you know, I want to get on to doing as much as I can. And I, I don't want to go back down to lockdown. So that's a small price I pay. I'll tell you what, I have seen far more adults complain about the mask than kids. The kids, yes. I there's rarely a rarely actually see kids. Yeah, they're <laughs> they're fine with them. In fact, yeah. in our community, we're at a place with the virus right now where um, some outdoor sports, youth sports, are allowed. So both of my kids are playing soccer. They have to wear masks while they play. And there were emails amongst parents going nuts about this. You know, how can you expect my child to play with a mask on? She's going to get tired and she's not going to be able to breathe. They're fine. They're okay. <laughs> now they do, you know, they take a breath if there's nobody around, they pull the mask down or they come off on the sideline when, and they take, you know, a minute and get their water and, and have the mask cover on the ear and then they put it back on and are back out on the field. You know, it's, it's more of us, like you said, thinking that they are fragile and not letting them step up to where they really can be. Yeah. Now you said to me when we were chatting before about some of the things you wanted to make sure that parents understood, you said that there are some that given this overwhelm of information and as we sort through it, what are those key statistics that you say that we really should be paying attention to, to cut through the clutter of the information? Yeah. So there are two in particular, the headlines every day really talk about how many new cases you have or how many new deaths there are, and those are important numbers because those are people and, and they matter and it's, it's a big deal. But it's hard to look at those numbers and decide what 
to do then for you as an individual or for you and your own family. Um, so the two numbers that I call the big two are the number of new cases in your region per 100,000 people and what is called the, the effective reproduction number or the RT, okay? So the number of new cases per 100,000 people gives you a sense of where your region is at least now. Technically, a couple days ago, because it takes a few days for test results to come through and to be reported. But that's, that's essentially a snapshot of how your area is doing with the virus right now. And as you see trends, if that number per 100,000 people is trending upwards, the virus is spreading. If it's trending downwards or staying steady, it gives you, you, know, you can graph that and you can sort of see how things are going. Um, so is that, would you, is that community spread? When people say watch the community spread, is that, is it, does that translate to that number or no? So, so that, it, it depends because some of these, there's sort of, sort of um, nicknames, I guess, are, are being used for different things. So for instance, the, the reproduction number, the RT is the other number I talk about. And some people will call that um, the infection rate or the transmission rate. And, and I could see some people calling that also the community spread. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, you know, that the RT number, the reproduction number is how many people the average infected person will then also infect. So, yeah, yeah. because I heard, you know, as I, again, I'm, this is your area, not mine, but I found it calm comfort, assuming that I got good information. You'll tell me if I did, that in fact, it's not a very infectious disease or contagious disease when compared to say measles in terms of the nut that, you know, it, you might, if you are infected, you might infect two or three other people with COVID, whereas measles might be 15 other people. That's and then it's a very, uh, it's a very fragile, unstable virus. It dies quickly. It that's doesn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's exactly right. You know, I've seen 18 as a number for, for measles. Uh, that is the, so the true reproductive number, like the R zero to get into the, nitty gritty of it, um, is if you had no protective measures at all, how many people would an infected person infect? So for measles, we think it's about 15 to 18. I learned the, the line years ago that if you had one person with measles in a room with 100 people that had never had it before or had never been vaccinated, then over 90 of those people will contract measles. Um, and that's to say just how many you can infect and how easily it spreads and how it lingers in the air. Um, whereas with with COVID-19, we think the number, the reproductive number is about two to four. Okay, now with all of the protective measures and the social measures that all of our areas and, and all of us as individuals are taking, um, for most places that number is lower you ideally want to see a reproduction number less than one. Okay, so if we really pull back and, and think about this, if one infected person infects one other person, then you have a, a reproduction number of one, okay? So if every single person infects one other person, you can draw just a, a nice straight line that you learn in, in middle school math class, you can see that the infection just continues to plug along at a steady rate. If your reproduction number, your RT is much higher than one, let's say 18, like measles, now you have a line that is curving upward quickly and you can see that the, the virus is spreading rapidly. So you've got that hockey stick exponential looking kind of a curve. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now, if you have a, a RT less than one, then fewer, not every person who has it is going to infect somebody else. Okay. So you're going to slowly start decreasing the number of people who are infected. And the closer to zero that number that the RT gets to be, the faster the infection fizzles away. So most places, at least in North America, that are doing pretty well have an RT around one. There are some areas that are a little bit higher. Uh, most aren't really higher than two. Uh, there are some places here in the United States, Vermont has done a great job. Their RT is like 0 0.5. Wow. Um, 
yeah and so you get different different values you know just for for the listeners to to get a sense on how important the number of new cases is to step back we try to standardize the number of daily new cases to 100,000 people so how many new cases did you have today per 100,000 people in the population of that region the reason being that if you have a small community that has 10 cases and you have a really large community that has 10 cases, then the infection is spreading more rapidly in that smaller community than in a large community. Right. Um, Oh yeah. You don't want to compare downtown Manhattan with its population density to, you know, a cattle farm in Montana. Exactly. So, you know, I, knowing that, that many of your listeners are probably based in Canada, I've been trying to do some research in these last few days. um, And and luckily you guys have done such a, a good job compared to us in the US that I've had a really hard time finding sites that standardized for every 100,000 people in the population. You know, most places at the site of the Canadian stats are just talking about the, the total number of new cases per day. And so probably more just to, to visualize, you know, if you look at like Ontario and Quebec, that's where most of the cases have been. And so if for most have- of the people are. Exactly. So if you've got <laughs> 500 cases today in Ontario, that's, that's much different from saying 500 cases in the Northwest Territories, right? Absolutely. So, so you want to have a, a rough sense of, of what the population is in that area. And that can give you a rough idea of, you know, is this moving in a, a poor direction in my community? Yeah. Well, we're, I think that I'm quite proud of, of how we've, reacted and responded and um you know canadians are there's a i think there's a cultural piece there around how much you're willing to be a community player versus your individual rights um how much you have individualism collectivism stuff there uh, stuff going on with government politics we we are we are a different country in a bunch of different ways and i'm just comparing us canada and i'm dual by the way we've seen differences in things that have happened around the world the difference between you know how things happen in singapore and thailand and you know it's been fascinating to watch different approaches to it different look at different um, statistics coming in now about it so what's your best guess for a vaccine I think that I mean, in terms of parents trying to get a to to bring this back to to why we want to make information available that's useful to parents, they need to make some kind of a plan for what this next year is going to look like for their kids or, or the next two years or whatever. So what event horizon should they be looking at? What's your advice for for getting families set up Mm. (laughs) in all of this? So with regard to the vaccine, I think that it's it's going to be next spring plus before it is widely available for an average person to get and that's going to be the that that's kind of popping the balloon and letting the air out we're all hanging our hats on on the hope for this but it's going to be a while before we really get it out in large enough numbers to see an impact on the community um so I think that in the meantime, we really are then relying on all of us to do what we can, uh, you know, wear masks, keep the, the physical distance when we, when we need to. I have been trying to really encourage people to spend as much time socializing outdoors as possible. I mean, that, that's, our, that's our out right now. And as long as we can hang on to some decent weather, hopefully it stays yeah. It's good. Yeah. I mean, I know you have cold weather there too, but yes, yeah. as, as today's the first day of fall here as we're recording this and, um, and I'm watching the overnight freezing alerts coming. <laughs> like, wow, this was the wrong year to have the cold weather come <laughs> early, man, please. And I don't think you can get an outdoor heater for your backyard. I think they're back sold on Amazon. <laughs> they really are. We've been looking. There's, there's going to be a black market. But, you know, you think about those Nordic countries who get better. I remember going to a conference and, uh, you know, at every, uh, you know, people just sat with blankets on their laps. Like maybe we just need to change our culture and say it's completely fine to wear a snowmobile suit and hang out in someone's garage um there's lots of canadians who do that we can we can toughen up we can figure it out (laughs) i I think that's such a, a huge huge key to making it through all of this right now you know we've got to be creative i think we have to have some level of acceptance 
I wrote an article a few months back called Don't Wish the Days Away. You know, I think that that's been something that has been very easy for so many of us to do, you know, to just think, okay, we'll wait for a vaccine or it's, it's going to turn around and I just need to tread water until we get there. But along the way, I mean, life is, is slipping by. You know, I, I had a professor in college and I tell the story as often as I'm, as I can, because I just loved it, the experience of it. And he was talking about the afterlife. Uh, this was a, a, I went to Georgetown and you're required to take two semesters of some type of theology course. And, and wow, I wish every university did that. Yeah. And what was really interesting is it was different based on professor. So this professor said, look, I recognize that most of you guys are probably some form of Judeo Christian background. So we're going to talk about Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Confucianism, Taoism. And so he said, you know, think about forever, like the afterlife. And you can also think about being in the moment right now. And, and these two really big hard ideas to, to wrap your head around. And when talking about trying to be in the moment, he talked about how most of us never really are. He said, look, you probably right now in this class are thinking, I can't wait until this professor is done talking. I can't wait until the class is done. I can't wait until I can have dinner with my friends. I can't wait until break and I can go home and see my family. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. And along the way, all these moments have slipped by. And it's the same that is true right now. This is such an unusual situation that none of us have ever faced and hopefully none of us ever will again. And hopefully generations won't have to deal with this again. But it's, it's our time right now. And so whether it is learning how to hang out in somebody's garage with a blanket on, figuring out what to do with schooling, you know, when, when the schools were first shut down, I know that you talked about this uh, several episodes back. A lot of us were, a lot of parents were worried about how fall online school was going to look compared to the spring because the spring it was a situation nobody could have planned for. And we were grasping at straws just to make things work. Um, and so in the springtime, my wife, Monica, and I felt like we had to sort of beef up what the kids were getting with their school. And we tried to be creative with it. You know, my daughter found a documentary on Jane Goodall. She watched that and we had her write an essay about it. You know, we're trying to, to find creative ways that the kids can learn. Um, and I think that that's going to be the, the key in these months ahead, whether it is socializing or education or just emotional strength building for ourselves too. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to comfort parents by saying that the brain is really, the human brain is really designed for two main features and that is learning and socializing and, you know, great sweet spot when you can get the two at the same time, but try not to teach a child. Right. I mean, as soon as we get interest in engagement, that's all they want to do is, is, is soak it up. Right. And so how great to think outside the box and say, what, it, what interests you? Let's, let's go learn there. I, I think that there, that if we were willing to, to your point, step outside of conventional thinking and con conventional delivery methods and get a little bit more meta about, what we what's a good use of time what's a good way to stimulate a brain what's a good way to move along a learning curve that there is so many different ways to to get that done I, I think the problem is we're just so freaked out about things not being standardized oh you have to standardize testing and falling behind and someone's getting ahead and again goes to that scarcity competitive mindset that isn't I don't think is as healthy but you say routine and flexibility is a big part so so say more about that yeah, well, you know, I, I, mean, I think that one thing as a pediatrician, I think that many of us um, in, in pediatrics, I, I'm sure that you dealing with families have probably been very keen to, to, to pay attention to and have your antenna up for is the, the emotional toll that all of this has on kids and teens and parents. Uh, and especially in the early months of the whole pandemic, when things were shut down, and I think that so many of us felt a little bit lost because our normal routines, our normal, the, the things we looked forward to, the things that were expected of us were now suddenly absent. I joke around that, that adults like to 
to praise themselves for thinking that they are spontaneous when most adults aren't really spontaneous. You, you eat mostly the same thing for breakfast every day. You brush your teeth the same way every day. You know, we do a lot of the same things, whether we, we recognize it or not. And, and kids, uh, especially, you know, this they crave that structure and, and that support. And, 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 and interesting, sorry to interrupt, but just, you know, I just want to emphasize that there is a, uh, perception on parents that we shouldn't thwart our children's freedom. Mm-hmm. And in and in fact, again, that's very much an adult projection that kids really do want to know limits and boundaries and expectations and be able to anticipate. And that's part of what makes life feel safe and secure. Um, that it's not a negative that a lot of I don't know, freewheeling adults think it is. It's a gift. It's a gift to give your kids, not a jail sentence. That's exactly right. You know, and so I think that um, when it comes to routine, some of that, that routine is hopefully now back in place because school is back in session, whether it is in person or hybrid or, or virtual. But over these last several months, when I would typically encounter a child or a teenager who was reaching out because they were they were feeling depressed or anxious or, or just not handling all of this well. Many of those kids I would find were going to bed at varying times, waking up at varying times, had nothing to really look forward to each day. Uh, and so a lot of what we were trying to get them to do would be to schedule Zooms with their friends, you know, schedule things if it's a hangout outside or online. I think that we've all accepted the fact that our kids have had a lot more screen time through all of this. But on the one hand, you know, we were using it in my house as a way that the kids could reach out and socialize. And so my son got to have scheduled times that he would go on and play video games with his friends every day. And so that that routine can help with, with the, the emotional scaffolding for sure. At the same time, this is a completely different world and experience right now. And so, you know, kind of having an acceptance that things have to be a little flexible, you know, being creative, like we discussed, um, things may not always go right all the time. And, and so being aware that, that there might be times that we have to not always stick to the guns if we're seeing our kids aren't, aren't doing so well, you know, and, and with that, then also to, to validate what they are feeling when that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had an experience actually just this weekend, we went apple picking and my daughter who is going to be 13 very soon, she started just to be really grumpy and she wouldn't take a picture with the rest of us and was starting to kind of storm off. And on the one hand, we're like, oh, great, you know, (laughs) 13-year-old, this is wonderful. But then my wife asked her, what's wrong? You know, third or fourth time that she kind of turned her back to us. And she said, it's all different. And it was all different because obviously we were wearing masks. There were a lot of people there. Uh, It was a bad season for apples at this particular farm. There were just all sorts of things that, that, you know, this annual tradition that we had wasn't living up to the expectation and, and the, the memory that, that she'd sort of set out for it. And so. How great, how great for your, you, and again, you and your wife who work with kids and know this to not just get turned off at the teen attitude and to do the dig underneath and to, and to hear her story. How beautiful. And, and in that moment, my wife just went over and hugged her. And after that, everything was much better. And then later we had the conversation. And I think that's also something, you know, I think many of us parents want to, to fix things right then and there or turn that into the teaching moment. And, and there are often teaching moments that are just little moments throughout the day. This we turned into what I kind of nicknamed the the '80s family sitcom end of the bed teaching moment. You know, the, every every '80s sitcom, <laughs> you know, at the end you have the parent and the kid on the edge of the bed, and they have the big talk through, and they hug it out, and then you know that's the end of the episode. And so in that moment, it was just enough just to get the hug. And yeah. then later on, uh, I don't remember if it was the way home or once we got home, 
you know, then, then we had to talk of, well, yeah, it was really different today, wasn't it? You know, I, I noticed that you did, you were able to really turn things around after mom gave you the hug. You know, tell me, what do you think it was that really led up to that? And, and we could then talk about how other things we'll be experiencing this fall and this winter, you know, holidays and such are likely going to be a lot different. And so how can we go in with the flexibility in mind, with the, the mindset that we've got to roll with some of these punches as they come? What a great segue into what I wanted to also delve into you, um, which is about your mindfulness work. Because mm. you you kind of uh, mentioned a little bit about that when you were saying that you were taking some of the courses at uh, Georgetown, but you have a whole program for parents and mindfulness. And I've been I've been a mindfulness meditator now for I guess I'm going on to ten years now, but I've I've never I talk about it with my parents as something good you should go do, but I've never created any curriculum around it. So so maybe you could just talk about that premise of that you know non-attachment and expectation versus reality and why mindfulness is like, if, if you haven't explored it till now, <laughs> this might be the best time to, to check it out. And you've got offerings. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So when I was in medical school, I was one of the, the first classes to go through a brand new program that Georgetown had called the mind-body medicine program, um, in which they taught us skills like meditation and guided imagery and very mindfulness-based practices uh, with the idea, not that we would ever use these with our patients, but that we'd use them for ourselves. That if we could become more balanced, self-aware, compassionate people, we would become more balanced, self-aware, compassionate doctors. And, and, it's, and I, so I just want to jump on, sorry to, to interrupt again, but um, for people that maybe don't know the history of, of, uh, medical training or, or whatever, you know, my understanding is, is that that was a real deviation from what was sort of the uh, advice of prior generations, which was you're going to be in a, a highly emotionally triggering environment, you know, death, pain, all, you know, and that was that really to, to, to ma manage through it by being rather like strong rather than compassionate, making strong boundaries as opposed to being open and human was sort of the, the prior approach for survival. Is, is, is that accurate? That's exactly right. Um, you know, the, I think that I was lucky to be going at a time that there was a, a professor there who was really keyed into a lot of the research looking at how so many doctors burn out as time goes on. Um, and that a lot of that burnout is because of this disconnect between the emotions that you are feeling and what you've been told that you are allowed to feel or what you need to, to stuff away in order to plug through. And he was really interested in trying to, to bolster medical education you know, beyond just learning all the, the basic science and how to make more complete physicians. So this course had a, it struck a, a powerful chord with me. It had a, a huge impact on my life and, and it still does. And I began to recognize again, once I had my own kids and once I was out in practice, that there was so much anxiety in modern day parenting. And, and so as a way to help parents learn how to counter that or how to manage that and ride through that without letting any, any of the waves tip their boat over. Uh, I adapted the course that, that I first trained under to apply to parents. And so, you know, you touch on some of the, the theories and philosophies of it, you know, the, the, the biggest one to me and where I think that it's often helpful to take some sort of course or to have somebody guide you and teach you as you're learning about mindfulness and meditation um, is because it's more than just taking deep breaths. That, yeah, that's talk. the biggest thing we have to get parents past. That's yeah. so not about that. And I, I tell people my fascination started more through the academic. I wanted to understand the nature of consciousness. I mean, how can you not be mm. interested in people and not if you're interested in how they think and the and the nature of the mind? How can you not want to you know go deeper into that topic? Right. Absolutely. You know, I I think that it's it's you know, so it's been secularized now, but I think that, that it's important to kind of talk about the, the Buddhist root about the idea of there is pain. You know, there, there, there are hard things in the world, but then we turn pain into suffering. 
by qualifying it, by judging it, by saying that you know, I wish that I didn't step on that Lego. I wish that my baby would sleep through the night more. I wish that my kid was doing something better or this pandemic wasn't around right now. And so it kind of goes back to the, the, the poem about changing the things that you can and accepting the things that you can't. And so a lot of what I try to teach with mindfulness, as you take those breaths and as you are focusing on your breath, your mind is naturally going to wander. And instead of being mad at yourself when your mind wanders, instead of wishing that weren't the case, you kindly notice it and gently escort your attention back to your breath or, or whatever type of, of meditation you're doing. And, you know, that, that application of, of non-judgment, I think, is what is really key to helping us uh, handle so many of the challenges that life throws our way, that, that we can recognize it, we can accept it as something that, that is challenging, you know, is, is maybe not one of the, the moments that we, we wish we could be going through, uh, but without laying on that, that extra layer of, of qualifying and judging it um, and wishing it weren't there and instead accepting it, moving on with what we can, changing what we can and, and going forward. Yeah, I think about, um, and I'm sure this came from one of my meditation uh, sessions or, you know, so this is not my own creativity at all. And I'm sorry, I can't give proper credit to whoever came up with mm. it, but it stayed with me, which is it's like going outside and looking up at the rain clouds and with clenched fists screaming at the rainy day, you know, and it's like, we don't really do that. We look out the window, we're like, oh, it's a rainy day. I kind of wish it wasn't or whatever, but oh, I guess I'll put on a raincoat. I guess I'll put it on an umbrella and we get about our business. We don't stop what we're doing and sit down and pout and add to your point, this, the added energy of wishing something wasn't the way it was when we know we can't change the weather. That's right. I mean, I guess if we want to change the weather, we could change global warming and we could recycle more. That at least would turn it into something actionable. And we can wear start. if we don't like the pandemic, we can wear our masks, we can turn it into something actionable. But the the loss of energy that goes out into the 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 negative affect uh, of of wishing things were different than they were, that's that's we we just drained so much of our life energy out on, on that point. That's exactly right. And you know, I know you talk a lot about how our, our I hate putting the pressure on, <laughs> on parents, but our kids learn by our example. Yes. And, and so whether it is talking about the pandemic or, or anything else that, that, you know, all this whole new world that we're in and the things we're missing out on the things that are different, you know, how we manage that and talk about that, you know, we, we get the option, we get the choice to say, you know, it's a real bummer that it is this way, but that's, that's how it is right now. And so let's think about what we need to do to, to try and make it better. And if there's not much that we can do to make it better, then, then what we need to do to, to kind of plug on through. And the, and the child that hears that narrative is more likely to adopt that as their general not to say that we brainwash children, but the truth is they do look to us as um, being people that have more wisdom, authority. They know they're, that we're charged with taking care of them. And if we're fine, then they feel fine. And, and again, going back to some of these interesting studies of, you know, because um, it, it reminded me of the Buddha one. I, I may have even mentioned this on my podcast, but I just recently heard a story about when the, the uh, Vietnamese people were, were fleeing in the boats and they were so worried that if, if the pirates would capture the, the boat um, and women would be killed and raped and whatever, if, if, they, if the one person in the boat would, would stay calm and start to meditate the whole boat would stay calm, hmm. you know, that, that, you know, as a leader, the, like the more that we can stay calm in a crisis, the more we're literally infectious 
to, to people that are looking to us for guidance. And uh, so I know it's not the easiest thing for some parents to do, but it, it does matter. And the same with when we're just chaotic and busy. You know, I think one of the great gifts that came from the, sh- the lockdown was that parents finally took the information that I'm sure you and I and other parenting experts and psychologists and psychiatrists have been saying for years, which is family life is too busy. It's too frenetic. Yes. People need to slow down. And I don't, and they parents did not heed our advice, but this was forced upon them as an experiential learning. And I think a lot of them are like, wow, I get it now. I don't know if I, I didn't, I don't know if I want to go back to the way it was. The new normal of being slower in our family life is, has been really very helpful for some families and uh, they, they weren't willing to listen, but experientially they got, they got a dose of it. That's right. I mean, I think, I mean, we could talk about that for a very long time, I'm sure. You know, I think with, especially with activities and sports and such, it's very easy to fall into the idea of, of keeping up with the Joneses and that your kids might be missing out on some life changing skill if they're not in X, Y, and Z all at the same time. Um, when you can look at these last several months, and it's also how we can change how we frame how we think about things. We can look at these last several months and think, wow, you know, we missed out on all this stuff, or we can look at these last several months when things have been quieter and think about, yeah, you know, my kids learn how to play ukulele. My son was doing magic lessons online for, for a little while. My, my daughter started to try and learn American sign language, um, things that they wouldn't have been doing when they had all these, these externally prescribed activities and, you know, you know and a lot of uh, really, I, I think it went one of two ways. There was either families who, uh, the being forced to be home alone with no other distractions, without a nanny, without a dog walker, without all these other things going on and just had to sit with the reality of their family life. Some realized that um, they needed relationship help. They didn't yes. really know how to parent. They really didn't know how to discipline. They really didn't know how to overcome some of these things. And they sought out help, which so it was an inflection point for change for the better. And others could do it more naturally where they said, you know, I didn't really know my teen son, but suddenly because he can't go off with his friends, we're forced by the situation to start a conversation. And lo and behold, we both love Marvel comic books or whatever, you know, the story might be. And, uh, and there's been some really beautiful stories of, of, of reconnection within our families that, uh, that had been a little too weak. So those soft skills, those relationship skills, uh, and that's internal support network of families, I think grew too for many people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that's where you don't want to be it, fake in terms of, of constantly focusing on the positive, right? You know, to kind of come back to modeling for our kids and talking about everything, you know, there have certainly been a lot of challenges that people have faced. You know, I think that we, we can't overlook that. Oh, um, yeah. We know this but, with our domestic violence reports, the yeah. number of calls to helplines for kids, for sure. The numbers show that it was uh, not easy. And we really do have to watch for a second wave mental health crisis. We do. Yeah. But I think that, that being honest with our kids and with ourselves, you know, about the things that have been hard while also not forgetting to to recognize the things that have been good over these last several months. You know, it's walking in that line and balancing those two in an honest way with ourselves, with our kids that I think is, is going to give us the, going to strengthen the bond in our families. Yeah. We can do hard things. It's hard when you're in it. Right. But we're going to, in hindsight, in the rearview mirror, you know, we lived through a hard time. Can we use these last few minutes to talk a little bit about what you and Monica are doing? Because yeah. And then I, and then I want to give you, I, I'm going to put in the show notes, obviously, I'm going to put in all your uh, uh, ways for people to connect with you. But, um, but let's talk about the 10 minute preschool, which is your, your uh, age two to six program that, um, that Monica really, t- tell us about her and your involvement with that. Yeah, thank you. This is, this is great. So Monica, Monica Silvestro is my wife. And those who listen to my podcast know that I talk about her a lot because She's kind of the secret brains behind so much of what I do. You know, she has been really wonderful at, at recognizing so many great innovative approaches to, to helping families and kids. And, and she's got her finger on the pulse of what other parents are looking for. But she is a preschool teacher. She's an early childhood educator. 
And when everything did shut down several months back, you know, we recognized that older kids had their online school. Younger kids, preschoolers and those who may have been in daycare were just kind of left in the lurch. There wasn't much available for them. And so at her school, she was doing little videos for her, her students. But what we decided to do was create 10 Minute Preschool, which is a, a YouTube series that essentially compiles all the best parts of Monica's preschool class into a 10 minute segment. So there's a welcome song, there's an activity and a lesson and a goodbye song. And some of the, the lessons and activities are true skills that kids would be learning in preschool. The last one we put up was how to learn the proper way to cut with scissors and fun activities that you can do to, do, to, to teach that. But then other things are more socio-emotional. Uh, you know, she talked about feelings and, and we did a, a conversation together recently about how parents can help young kids with social development while they are home. So, so yeah, 10 minute preschool has been a blast to do. We've got more coming up down the road and I encourage anybody with young kids to, to check it out. And it's a real, what I loved about it is it really is um, feeling like you were sitting in a class environment rather than video animation, gaming. It's, it's not that it's, it's what kids really like with, you know, it's, it's having that adult at the front of the room going through some very classic interaction styles that I think can be missing from kids who get put in front of, you know, iPads with, you know, counting series. This is like really feels like you're in a classroom, which is so, so rich developmentally. Yeah, that, that was, has really been the goal. You know, I will often have a word pop up if she talks about a color or something, sort of Sesame Street style, so that kids can recognize what the word looks like. We've had uh, an episode on patterns, and that might have shapes. I did the pattern one. I did, <laughs> I, did, I did the patterns one. <laughs> you know what? That one has actually been the one that so many families have reached out about and have shared <laughs> pictures of their kids setting up patterns on the table <laughs> and yeah. talking about patterns around the house. Um, so it's been really cool to, to see all the pictures and the stories that parents have sent about the impact it's had on their, their little kids. Amazing. Yeah. So can I toss it back to you to, to, to tell people about how they continue on getting information from the child repair guide or some of your other offerings? Where's the, where's, where can I direct them besides I'll put links in the, you know, obviously in the show notes, but where would you direct people that want to jump on all this? Yeah, so three places are probably best. If if you love podcasts, which I imagine many people listening do, uh, the Child Repair Guide podcast is available on any podcast app. I have a website that is drstevesilvestro.com, and that is where you can find the podcasts as well as article versions of any of the, the episodes I do by myself, plus my videos and my Mindfulness for Parents course and whatnot. And then uh, I've started to spend a lot more time on Instagram than I used to. And I am Zen Doc Steve on Instagram. And you and I are going to, we're going to try a little Instagram experiment as well, aren't we? We're going to do a little shorter version chat in the future. So yeah, yep, absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, listen, um, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate everything that you're doing for parents. Uh, I love uh, hearing about, I just, I don't know how you get your energy. <laughs> <laughs> I do have are some you coffee sure? right next to me. Are you sure there's 24 <laughs> hours in your day and not 32 or something? Um, but but really, it's it's wonderful the, um, the the incredible content that you're putting out and the high value that you're providing parents and their and their families. And boy, we sure need it this time. So I hope we get to do this again. Thank you very much for your time and have a great day. Thank you so much, Allison. I, I will jump on really quickly and say that I, I also truly appreciate so much of what you, you put out. I know your listeners are already on the bandwagon, but I will, will put the plug in as a, a medical professional and a child professional. I am on the Allison Schaefer bandwagon too. So thank you so much for what you do. And it's been a pleasure to be here. Till next time. The first of more to come. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Take care. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast, so thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, 
and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.